We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Roadwire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, it's September 2nd, Nick Whalen. Uh, I'm back with John McKechnie. As always, John, we've, we've been spacing these episodes out, uh, unfortunately, over the last few weeks, basically because we've had to, because there's been so many moving parts that I feel like if we recorded once or twice a week, uh, like we normally do in a usual year, in a usual season, uh, we would just have to like backtrack basically everything that we said one day because of how fluid this entire situation still is. Uh, when you look at the college football landscape, heading into a week one that begins in just a matter of days. So we'll preview the uh, absolutely monster DFS slate for Huge. week one. A surprise week one for a lot of people, I would imagine. Um, and just kind of do a another surveying of the landscape of where does college football stand right now? Which players are playing? Which players are not playing? We've had a couple more high-profile opt-outs over the last couple of days. 
before we dive in, I do want to issue a disclaimer. If there's a loud explosion, um, you know, something of that nature, it's because I updated the operating system on my MacBook last night. I was telling you off air, John, I've never seen a laptop operating at uh, with the amount of heat that my laptop was during this process. Yeah, like a, um, a, a room full of like the Chernobyl lab technicians, like, it is too hot. <laughs> I honestly considered putting it in the fridge for a little bit. It was that hot. I moved it off of, it was sitting on my bed for a little bit, moved it off there just because in the back of my mind, I was like, honestly, I could kind of see this setting my sheets on fire. Um, so I just left it on the floor for a while, but it made it through. It, it it sounded for a long time like one of those giant industrial fans that you'd see in like a warehouse. Like that's how hard the fan inside this thing was working. But um, it's here to, to crank out this podcast. And I, th- I think we're ready to dive in. Yeah. Shout out to, uh, you know, mid last decade technology still mm-hmm. still kicking around and still allowing us to, to pod as we should as we are uh, mm-hmm. as we are destined to do. Yeah, this laptop was was home to a lot of uh, a lot of MP3s. Back in the day when I first got it, uh, a lot of Kid Ink songs, a lot of Mac Miller songs. Uh, those have since been deleted to clear space, but it's it's seen some things. I want to start by, you know, kind of going from the entire process, starting maybe back in the late spring until now. How has this been for you as the lead college football editor for our site? Like, how have you handled the initial preparation process for what probably looked like it would be a real full season back in? April or May to the way that things have, have changed. And then, you know, now it seems like every other day, the big 10 is either about to play or they're about to cancel the season forever. And then some other piece of news comes up that implies that maybe they'll play in four weeks or maybe they'll play in eight weeks. Like how has it been for you to have to deal with so many moving parts and, you know, just kind of have to, to react, I guess, as, as the news seems to change so drastically day to day, you know, I don't think I've ever related more to college football than I do right now. Because you think about it, and they've been as flying by the seat of their pants slash kicking the can down the road. Um, you know, just a lot of parallels between the the college football process and how it, it has unfolded over the course of the summer and, and just kind of how I live my life. You know, getting yelled at by epidemiologists, college football and me, uh, getting yelled at by writers at The Athletic, you know, college football and myself. It's a, it there's a perfect parallel bit between myself and college football. And, and thus I, I really feel uh, even more connected to it right now, but on a, on a more serious, like actual note, it has been this very frustrating stop and go. Um, it felt like, especially earlier, uh, not this month anymore, we are into September, but August, I feel like was when things started to get kind of crazy. Like it was the first weekend of August when I believe the Mac um, decided to cancel. And I think they were the first conference to officially do that. I think Northern Illinois um, was a big factor in that and they, they didn't want to play. And then um, we, we saw the Big Ten do their schedule release and then, you know, back off of that, I think just six days later, uh, the Pac-12, of course, following suit as well. It's just been that this very difficult thing to parse, you know, on like a very human level, you know, I do feel like this is a lot to ask of these college kids, you know, like they have to be on a college campus, but they can't really act like college kids. And and you you see the increasing frustration with that when you see these viral pictures from Tuscaloosa, where where the streets and the bars are completely crowded. And I'm not singling out Alabama, that's been the case um, all across the country at at college campuses. You see it at Iowa State, Uh, you see it so many different places. Uh, that are, you know, the 
on track to be playing college football. So it, it's a lot to be asking of these, you know, unpaid uh, student athletes to behave in a way where, you know, their peers, their classmates are, you know, acting completely irresponsibly um, in a lot of cases. So it's been weird to weird to see that and like kind of weigh that out on the human level versus mm-hmm. like the actual like there's also the part of me that is a huge part of me that is like, I love college football more than anything in the world. So like, I want the season to happen, but I want it to happen the right way. And what we've gotten as the end result is this sort of half baked, but still kind of exciting setup here. And and I know that we've lost some star power, especially in recent days with, with the season getting closer and closer. Um, some big, big names that we'll get into um, have opted out that that kind of changes uh, the the outlook for this season. But at the end of the day, even though there, there's only six conferences playing um, and, you know, only three of them being power five uh, conferences, I think there's still going to be some lunacy and some wildness and some fun uh, to be had in, in this college football season. And I'm so glad. And, you know, I love the NFL, too, but it was really starting to get under my skin in like July and August, like the NFL only sharks just being like, oh, I can't wait to watch the NFL on Saturdays. It's like, no, 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 no. Saturdays <laughs> are for college football. You leave me alone. And I'm glad that that college football has found a way uh, at maybe as unconventional and, and as rocky as it's been. But Saturday, this Saturday afternoon, we're going to have college football at the FBS level. And I'm excited. So piggybacking off of that, I mean, there is going to be football. It's not going to necessarily be, uh, you know, the, the full slate, I guess. And week one isn't always great, but you, you don't have the Pac-12, you don't have the Big Ten. There are a number of major programs, of course, involved in both of those conferences. I mean, how, David Shaw, the Stanford head coach, straight up came out and said this past week, uh, his, his quote was, at least for me, there should be an asterisk referring to this season and referring to the college football playoff. What is your general consensus, you know, and speaking to other people in the industry, just being you know, as absorbed in, in this whole process as anybody, how, how is like the general consensus of, of what the season is going to per, be perceived as? Yeah, I think that unlike some of the other sports, like uh, I think, you know, on, on your end with, with handling the NBA, I don't think that there's going to be an asterisk when it's all said and done as to who, um, you know, claims the title this year. Whoever wins the NBA finals will be recognized as the champion. I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that as cleanly um, at the college football level, especially when you look at the at the schools that um, won't be getting a chance to play. At least we don't think so. The Big Ten have just been I don't even know. Don't know where to get started with how much they've flubbed this throughout the entire process like it's fine to it's fine to cancel it and like i don't really hold hold anything against a conference that that chooses to just go the safe route and and cancel but for the big 10 to continue to be this well what about thanksgiving or what about october 10th now it's like what make up your mind you you guys are just like i don't even know what what to say about that but um Back to the back to the main point here when it comes to whether the champion here will be legitimate or not. I think there's still enough teams here and we, we've seen the Big Ten or the Pac-12 get left out of the playoffs before. I think that if, you know, we see a playoff field that looks similar to what we have seen in the past, you know, where a Clemson and Alabama, uh, maybe an LSU, Oklahoma or Texas, and maybe like one other SEC school. Uh, I know I'm naming too many schools there, but I'm talking just teams with legitimate playoff aspirations. Like if they made the final four on any other given year, you wouldn't really bat an eye about it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you are 
admitting here in in the year 2020 that uh, a team like Ohio State that uh, that I personally bet on to win the national championship um, and a team like Oregon that I think would have had a very good chance at running the table in the in the Pac-12 um, although the, I guess they would have had to play Ohio State so that that would have been interesting uh, too bad we're getting robbed of that game um, so in the end if the final four ends up looking like what it does on, on a normal year r- within reason then that baked on top of just how crazy things have been to get us to this point and you know a lot of teams not having the benefit of cupcakes to to kind of have bye weeks within the season um that sort of thing i think that there there still will be a legitimate national champion this year and i I think that i'll recognize whoever comes out on top as as the champ but i think in terms of just the overall lore of college football people will always look back on the 2020 champion with with a little bit of of a grain of salt yeah, I think David Shaw's right. I think he's obviously speaking from a position of a head coach of a team in a conference that's not playing. So he's going to feel differently than than Nick Saban might. Um, and I think it's going to be more regional too. You know, where let's say the the Final Four ends up being you know four really good teams. If you're an Ohio State fan, it doesn't matter. You're going to say we would right. have been one of those teams no matter what. You know, and and even teams like Penn State and Wisconsin that maybe would would be just on the outside looking in. Uh, those teams are going to to cling to that. And I, I don't think there's anything that could happen that's going to convince an Ohio State fan that it's legitimate. Sure. But I, I think in the SEC and the ACC and those conferences, I, I think it's going to be very much legitimate to those fans, uh, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, one thing to, to consider, and I thought this was an interesting point. It was brought up and I think it was Heather Dinich wrote an article for ESPN this week. There are 41 bowls currently scheduled and there are only 76 teams playing this season. There are literally not enough teams to fill bowl games. How is that going to work? You know, there's been talk of maybe, I know the Rose Bowl chair had kind of come out and said, like, we wouldn't necessarily be opposed to playing the Rose Bowl, which is one of the the final two bowls, I believe, or one of the, the semifinal games this year, um, playing that game. And then if the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten start in November or December, or whenever it is, maybe playing like a second Rose Bowl for the second season, that would, of course, be in the mid-spring. So... I mean, that on the surface just seems completely ridiculous, but those are the type of conversations that are being had behind the scenes right now. Yeah, I mean, the the, the impact of the the shortening or the truncating of the, the college football pool and, and uh, you know, the number of teams there, like that has had a, a gigantic tri- trickle-down effect. And, you know, you'll see it in, in college towns across the country where, where college football won't be happening. Um, there's a lot of economic... Um, elements to 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 what's going on in the college football realm right now and I hadn't really thought about it because it's a little bit further down a little bit further away but yeah I mean when it comes to bowls like you know these are these are corporate sponsors that you know make money off the bowl games and tv rights and 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 all that good stuff Um, and yeah there's just simply no way that we're going to get the normal wacky bowl season just because like you said literally there are not enough teams to to really make it happen so um I don't really know if the if we're going to where that like cutoff is going to be like is it going to be the the traditional like New Year's Day um, not just like the the New Year's Six bowls but you know like your your Gator bowls your Citrus bowls your out Outback Bowl um, those those sort of games like will those ones still continue and then the 
the games like the Cherubundi, Tart Cherry, um, Boca Raton Bowl, maybe maybe they have to sit out um, this year, that that type of thing. So um, I'm not sure which bowls will end up being played. I, I do feel like the, the college football playoff will, will go on. Um, I do hope that the Dukes-Mayo Bowl um, is able to continue on uh, this year in, in its inaugural season. I believe it's replacing the Belk Bowl. Um, okay, that's big. Yes, huge. So, you know, that's really going to be the canary in the coal mine. If there's no Duke's Mayo Bowl, um, then then what are we even doing here? Yeah, that would be the major asterisk. Um, So the the Football Bowl Association, which is an organization that I would love to work for at some point, didn't even know that this existed, just only focuses football bowls. They've they've mentioned the possibility of moving up some of these bowls to before conference championships. So these would be your lower level bowls, you know, your Duke's Mayo type of bowl. That would be played as essentially like the final regular season game based on how the schedule would work. So you would have a bowl game being played, say, a week before the SEC title game, you know, featuring some of the lower level teams who are who are eligible. And that's a whole other situation. Like they might just have to waive bowl eligibility to fill these games. Right. I mean, if 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 sponsors still want to host the games, I don't know what the fan situation is going to be. A lot of these lower level bowls don't really draw great attendance anyway. So to me, that's probably not that big of a deal. But, you know, would it would a, would a Armed Forces Bowl or whatever is being played, the Birmingham Bowl, would they be willing to, to have like a two and nine team against a one and eight team if that's what it comes down to? They probably would. I think that this year all sorts of tradition goes at, goes out the window, and um, you know, with, with so many teams and conferences playing different numbers of games, I don't think that you can have that hard and fast um, six wins gets you into a bowl uh, type of thing. So yeah, it would not surprise me if we see some real um, kind of bottom rung teams um, being able to play in bowl games this year because bowl you know, those bowl sponsors, like they want that game played basically no matter what. And it, even if the, the quality is less than uh, ideal um, and, and you're having like a three win UTEP uh, jumping in there and that, that might even be generous for UTEP. Sorry to our UTEP listenership out there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that bowl, those bowl uh, committees and, and everything like that, they do have an obviously a vested interest in, in getting some sort of bowl game going. And, you know, I'm always in favor of chaos, especially once you get beyond like the, the classic blue bloods. And you, I think the, the weirder that the group of five teams and games and seasons can play out the better. So uh, I would be all for it. Just having some really lopsided, strange matchups in bowl games, quote unquote, bowl games. So you kind of hit on this earlier, but with no Big Ten, no Pac-12, that's 26 teams, if I'm doing the math correctly right there, that are not playing. No MAC, no Mountain West. Uh, as far as bowl games and rankings, those final two obviously don't carry the same weight as the Big Ten and the Pac-12. But you're taking out a, a large number of teams that are likely to either either are ranked in the top 25 now, which included all conferences. That'll obviously change as the season progresses. Or teams that you know project to be maybe not even in the top 25, but in the top 10 or 15 for a lot of the season. So eliminating teams like Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Oregon, USC, you know, does that open the door for like a Cincinnati to to finally make that run this year? Like, do do you think that the the voting committee and and the playoff committee, when it gets time for that, you know, will there be will there be a favoritism shown to these larger conference teams? You know, would would we see like a you know, a three loss Kentucky or three loss Mississippi State, you know, like getting getting into a, a better bowl or into a higher ranked spot than a one loss team from a lesser conference. Like how, how do they kind of weigh that now with 
with the floodgates open and more spots available for these more traditionally prestigious bowls. I think that they they're going to there's going to be some more favoritism towards like the non blue bloods in the power five conferences that uh, ta- hold out the longest before their first loss. So um, I actually tweeted about them uh, this morning uh, with, with uh, Raheem Blackshear getting immediate eligibility for this year. But a team like Virginia Tech, I, I think that they're, they're someone that if they are able to get, I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but like a team like that, a team that isn't really viewed as, as a top 25 team uh, this year, all things else being equal. But if they get into, you know, the later part of the season and they're still unbeaten uh, before they have to play Clemson or something like that um and they're they're out there i think that they would kind of be the ones that that get a little bit more favoritism from the from the playoff committee than say like an undefeated um cincinnati at the at the same point in the season so what we'll we'll see that like second tier of of power five teams i think that maybe oklahoma state could could fit that bill this year they have a lot of exciting pieces returning on offense so i think that we're more likely to see those type of programs get their shot if if they're able to to deliver than we are um an undefeated memphis smu or cincinnati i I don't think that they would aim below the AAC. I think the AAC is the absolute cutoff point and things have to go absolutely perfectly um, for one of those teams to, to get there. It has to be the, the absolute perfect storm. Obviously, it didn't even work out the other year with, with Central Florida, um, but it would have to be that that sort of chaos to get there. And I still think that um, the the playoff committee would readjust their point of view in such a way to where um, the, those second tier uh, power five schools would, would get a little bit more favoritism uh, when when they're putting their rankings together. So kind of in the same vein, it, it does, is there more of a cushion now for Alabama, LSU, Clemson, teams like that, where you, you don't have an Ohio State or maybe maybe Penn State is ranked fifth, you know, and is kind of that team that's just waiting for for a team like LSU to slip up. Um, you know, like not having those those a couple high quality teams now, especially out of the Big Ten. Um, like, th- does that mean that there's a little bit more room for error for like the, the ultra elite teams? There could be. There's definitely a path to to or you know a school of thought where where that's the case where Bama you know they drop a game earlier in the season to to Georgia or something like that. I don't anticipate that happening for for many reasons. But you know if they if one loss Alabama is out there, I don't think that that's the end of the world for them. But I don't think that's the end of the world for them most years anyway. They've gotten in uh, with a loss before, if I remember correctly, uh, from. Yeah, when they lost to Auburn in 2017, uh, still were able to make the the college football playoff and ultimately win the national title that year. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think overall that these teams that that are kind of locking down the the top ten in the um, in the overall or in the preseason rankings, the the, the usual suspects. I think that they will um, be given you know a little bit. a little bit of leniency when it comes to maybe uh, slipping up. Um, But you can't slip up against, uh, you know, a a really subpar team. It would have to be a loss against a a very uh, legitimate opponent. And I think that the committee will also take into consideration um, that these teams that, you know, couple of their games instead of going up against a, a group of five uh, team that they're paying to come to campus or, or an FCS team uh, they're being replaced by um, more conference opponents and more conference games this year and conference only um, schedules so I think that 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 adds to the overall strength of schedule um, narrative that that will be baked in and factored in um, when the when the playoff committee is making their decisions so we've had some major star power opt out it, it's been trickling over the last few weeks and few months but a couple a couple more major losses 
over the last few days. Jamar Chase, most notably from LSU. He's out. Tyler Shelvin from LSU also opting out. Jamie Newman, uh, about an hour before we're recording on this Wednesday afternoon. So I'm doing uh, well. So, so yeah, props to you. I was going to say props to you for you know still wanting to do this podcast. Um, <laughs> Kenny Gainwell, Sage Surratt, Rashad Bateman, Kennedy Brooks at Oklahoma. Uh, I think 10 UCF players have now opted out. Uh, I mean, there's still a good deal of talent remaining, but uh, you know, Chase and, and Gainwell, I think, are we're going to be two of the biggest stars in the country, and, and Chase kind of already was on that level. Those are big hits. Uh, but Newman specifically, since this is kind of fresh news, was there any chatter of, of this potentially happening? I, I feel like I hadn't heard anything until the news broke on Wednesday afternoon. No. So basically the, the timeline as far as I know it, um, you know, it was there, there are rumors swirling around lunchtime today on, on Wednesday that, that Newman is opting out or, or that he had already left campus. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that's that's coming from, you know, people that I tend to, to trust uh, as at the uh, Georgia uh, level. It's like, oh, boy, all right, this this could be a problem. And then the, the story really, really snowballed very, very quickly. And, it you know, it all culminated in, in Jamie Newman uh, opting out. And, you know, where there was smoke, there was fire ultimately. And um, so it, it developed fairly quickly as far as what the what the public knows but um yeah now it leaves georgia in a lurch and you know is it it was interesting early in the summer is like okay this is this is is this overkill when it when they went out and they uh, got jt daniels as a transfer from from usc are they just doing this to you know prevent him from going to another school in conference because i know that he had been looking at tennessee a little bit um that sort of thing so okay kirby smart is has you know invited in a quarterback competition that that you know is going to be dealing with some very high profile egos and especially i think the public um adds a layer of scrutiny because of just the way that the jake Fromm just and Fields um, situation sorted itself out just a year ago. Um, so I was surprised to see this unfold the way it did. And I think that, you know, Newman's statement, you know, saying that, um, you know, he, he had concerns about COVID and the, and the season really being able to to finish out and, and all that stuff, totally legit. And, you know, even either way you slice it, if you opt out for this year, I, you know, I don't blame you. And especially if you're a guy like Jamie Newman, who I think most people view as maybe the number four, maybe number five uh, pro prospect quarterback in, in this class, how much more was he really going to be able to raise his stock? He certainly wasn't going to be able to go over a Justin Fields or a uh, Trevor Lawrence this year. His best bet would have been maybe uh, jumping over Trey Lance um, with his play and, and playing in, in the uh, Todd Munkin system that has a little bit more NFL application than than what he was playing with at Wake Forest, where it was just max tempo, max spread, that, that type of thing. Either way, um, this is definitely a blow to Georgia. Um, but at the same time, Georgia hadn't really come out and, and named Newman the starter. They were in no rush to do that. It seemed like there was a lot of competition still going on um, in the practice building there. So, um, you know, maybe there maybe there is um, some of that quarterback depth there to where the, the loss of Newman, even though he never played a game at Georgia, um, won't completely derail this team. But I, I think it is, if nothing else, you, you can't say it's not a loss um, if you're a Georgia fan. So what are your thoughts on... Pat Narduzzi uh, came out and said this past week, essentially implied that a lot of these guys opting out like aren't football guys. They just don't want to play like they I, I don't have his exact quote in front of me. But the implication was these guys saw a path to just, you know, a free pass to the draft and they took it, you know, and he 
he he he repeated a number of times in the story I read that you know football is a game that you have to play. You can't just sit out for a year and a half and expect to just walk into the NFL. I don't know who he was referring to specifically. I don't know if it was Jamar Chase. Um, well, he, but I think I, he had a defensive lineman that yeah. um, was supposed to be a first rounder that um, that opted out. Okay, so it it really hit home. So he's yeah, subtweeting I mean, that guy. I would imagine that based on what we know about the general college football coach, that's probably not an unpopular opinion. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, or I don't agree with what Narduzzi was saying, but I I think that what you what you said there in terms of what Narduzzi, uh, the the views that that Narduzzi put out there probably are espoused by the bulk, the majority of college football coaches. You know, no one would have bet would have been shocked if Mike Gundy said that. And I don't want to like take more oh, shots at Gundy than than he's already taken. He gets plenty without me piling on. Uh, kind of goofy guy, but um, that yeah, that that does. It feels like it a uh, a move by the coach that I'm sure that the schools and the athletic department's uh, uh, PR department would have liked to uh, talk to him before he got in front of a mic and, and said that because that's something that um, can not only affect how your current locker room feels about you, but it can really, really affect you on, on the recruiting trail as well. So um, that that's something where if you're public and loud about um, kind of raising it, raising an eyebrow towards people's decision to sit out the upcoming season in the midst of everything that's going on, you know, that's just not, that's not going to be a great look. All right, let's get into the week one DFS slate. Like I said, just a monster, monster slate. The, the first game we're diving into here, uh, UAB Central Arkansas. So that, that says a lot about, about what we have in front of us. What, what is the actual like featured game on Saturday night? Is, is it Memphis? I think. Yes, Memphis and Arkansas State will ah, actually okay, will, yes. that'll like legitimately be a fun game. That's a game that I would be like really like kind of like pounding the drum for like uh, if we were doing doing this pod- podcast during normal times and you know I, I'd have to hype this game over, you know, some some random like Clemson Virginia game. I was like, "No, no, no. Watch this game instead. It's going to be more fun." Um I promise. Um so I I, I do love that matchup. Um that will be the the overall headliner of the weekend, and then I, I guess Monday night there's there's Navy versus BYU. Um, that'll be kind of fun, or at least that's like a close approximation to group of five or like power five play almost ish. Um, so that that'll be all right. But um, as far as like the the Saturday slate, um, yeah, Memphis and, and Arkansas State is definitely the, the crown jewel. And then, um, be, but before then, uh, we do have that two gamer on Thursday night between UAB and you know, God bless Central Arkansas for just being down to play whoever he- the heck wants to schedule them. They're like Austin P, sure, and I, I believe they're also going to be playing against North Dakota State with their own, and that's North Dakota State's only game this year. And they're like, yeah, no, no, we'll we'll get mowed down by you guys. That's totally fine. Um, so um, the, they're going to be taking on UAB uh, on Thursday night, and um, I don't think it's going to go particularly well for them. Do, should we uh, dive into this slate a little bit? We should. I, I do want to say I'm looking at ESPN's just college football schedule page, and I'm seeing abbreviations that I've never seen before, like. I'm not, I'm not used to seeing Central Arkansas. It's just listed as CARK, C-A-R-K. <laughs> or like USA. Is, the United States are playing against Southern Miss on Thursday, South Alabama. They always are. Uh, we got HBU, uh, which is Houston Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, are apparently playing against North Texas on Saturday. Like this is, I respect the grind that you've put into this because this this is a an absolute like DFS gamer slate. 
Yeah, it's um, you know, to be completely honest, there's a yeah, the, there's a little bit le- a <laughs> little bit to be desired as far as this being like the the opening here we go it's the season yeah. ty- type of of weekend but it's what we have and and we're going to we're going to have to deal with it so um just taking a look here um central arkansas at least we kind of have an idea of what they look like because they, they have played a game. You know, they played Austin P last weekend. Uh, they throw the ball a ton, but not at a very efficient clip. And I think that that only is going to get worse um, this time around going up against a UAB defense that, that is actually uh, very strong, um, has a lot of returning pieces to it. Um, Bill Connolly has them ranked 28th in defensive S&P. That's, you know, really, really strong. And that that's 28th if, if every team uh, were playing not as strong on offense, but a, a very suffocating defense. Um, so that that's something to, to keep in mind for uh, if you're thinking about I wouldn't say getting cute, but um, if you're thinking about going heavy at uh, Central Arkansas, UAB just isn't really the, the type of team that's going to be giving up a, a lot of points there. Um, I understand where, where Braylon Smith, um, the, the quarterback at Central Arkansas, uh, throws the ball a ton, um, is going to be throwing the ball a ton in this one um, with, with them being huge underdogs, and he's only 5,200. So maybe you can talk yourself into a lineup with him as your super flex. But generally, um, I'm looking at this slate um, in from the quarterback position um i'm going with jack abraham mostly he's 7,000. that's 2300 less than tyler johnston tyler johnston the guy that um, has like a fairly high yards per attempt at nine but he makes a lot of mistakes through almost as many picks as touchdowns a year ago and really only threw over 30 passes in a game twice all of last year and this isn't a setup to where he's going to be throwing um a whole lot so you're gonna need maximum range of outcomes from Tyler Johnston as far as like him hitting Austin Watkins and making big plays and, and you know gaining the lead with big pass plays because the, the volume in between isn't really going to be sufficient in a way that it will be for Jack Abraham of Southern Miss going up against South Alabama. Uh, Jack Abraham throws the ball a ton. He did lose Quez Watkins, but he's got uh, Tim Jones back in the fold. Jason Brownlee is a Juco guy that that apparently has been making noise. The highest priced uh, receiver other than Austin Watkins on this slate. Um, hasn't played a, a Division One game just yet, but um, again, making a lot of waves. Uh, should be that wide receiver one for, for Southern Miss. Um, I like him a fair bit. But I, I do feel like Tim Jones is is the better value for for Southern Miss at 5,300 compared to Brownlee at 7,000. I think they could see um, similar targets. I like both of them. I might do a full uh, Southern Miss stack because I, I think that South Alabama is very very weak on, on defense. Um, I also Miss, think that. Yes, thank you. Okay, I bet I was I knew that was a bit of a hot take. <laughs> I was waiting for some affirmation there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, South Alabama, 102nd in S&P projected defense this year. I think Southern Miss is going to be able to handle them uh, pretty well. So I like the Southern Miss offense probably the most out of any of these four units um, going on on Thursday night. And, and uh, Don Ragsdale is their running back. Um, he's pretty interesting as well. Um, but they, they also have Kevin Perkins, uh, a bigger running back um, who's had some success at different points. Um, and he he, I think, is going to get more carries this year um, than he did a year ago. Um, so he checks in at just forty four hundred. So he's a nice little uh, dart if you need to save money at the running back position. And then Ragsdale, a little bit more expensive at sixty five hundred um, if you want to go that route for your uh, Southern Miss exposure. 
Don Regsdale sounds like a guy who would have had like a 55 carry game for the Houston Oilers in 1981. <laughs> and Bum Phillips is just like yeah. so excited about it. He calls him his ho- his hoss and all that. And there it goes, Ragsdale. Ragsdale's gonna go. <laughs> Cloud of dust. Um, so do you want do you want to go position by position? Do you want to take a look at a few more games before we head out here? Um, okay, let, let's um, let's I'll finish with a couple more uh, like options at the running back and receiver spots for for uh, this slate, and we'll move on to the to the Saturday slate. So quickly, um, when it comes to um, South Alabama's offense, I do like Desmond Trotter a little bit. I think that he's um, he's someone who came on strong towards the end of last year. I think that's something to keep in mind. And again, he's he's only at I think six K. Um, yeah, so he's 600 less um, than than UAB's backup quarterback. So that that gives you a sense of of where he is and and what a value he could be at, at 6K. Um, so I, I like him a fair bit. Um, and then as far as his receivers go, uh, Kawan Baker is someone who runs out of the slot. He's locked in as being the slot receiver, so he should see the most targets. Um, when you're looking at DraftKings, when you're looking at the PPR element of, of it, um, that Baker makes a lot of sense. He's the safe play um, as far as the, the South Alabama receivers go. Um, so um, but they do also have a guy in uh, Jalen Tolbert who's pretty interesting as well and actually caught more touchdowns than, than Baker last year on less targets. Um, so he's a big bodied guy. He is, I think he's like 6'3, 200 pounds or something like that. Yeah, 6'3, 195 is, is his listed. Um, again, I think that South Alabama is going to be throwing the ball a fair bit against against the Southern Miss defense because they're they're going to be playing from behind a little bit and I think that he's he's the uh, the South Alabama guy in tournaments that that I would be looking for um, in terms of get uh, maybe stacking him pairing him um, with Desmond Trotter so so uh, again Jalen Tolbert is is someone to keep in mind there and then um, there's a there's a tight end uh, for the for Southern Miss, Grayson Gunter, a transfer from Arkansas. There's a chance that he's just bull in a china shop. Like he, he, maybe he wasn't going to be a dominant player at the SEC level, but when you drop down to this level, a guy that was you know a formerly like pretty high division or a, you know power five recruit, he might just be able to just bully his way. So I, I do like him as a bit of a, of a long shot uh, tournament play as well at, at 3,900. Kind of an interesting play there i don't know how much southern miss wants to throw their tight ends but if they do and if he ends up being a matchup mismatch um then i like him at 3900 as well but uh let's uh let's move on over to saturday shall we yeah yeah lead the way where do you want to start with saturday slate uh we we can start with quarterbacks all right so you're gonna have to be my guide uh as we as we go through some of these names um what's the game i guess if you have one game to target on saturday where are you starting um, so the the one that I, I think is going to see the most attention um, is probably the the Memphis Arkansas State one. Um, again, okay. there, there's just legit talent on both sides. Both teams have explosive offenses. Um, you look at at the quarterback spot for Memphis. I mean, Brady White is just a um, you know a he might like set the record for most college football games played because he. I think he's like in his fifth, maybe his sixth college football season. And I think because this year doesn't count against your eligibility, like he could be playing his seventh college football season yes. next year or something. So true legend of the game, uh, Brady White, uh, major respect to him. And he's only 7,200. So he's cheaper than a lot of these other quarterbacks um, on the board that I think have much, much worse 
uh, projection. So I do like Brady White a fair bit. Um, I think he can separate himself from it. Um, Arkansas State, I wish they would have made up their mind a little bit more, and, and the DraftKings price is reflective of this. Uh, Logan Bonner was fine in 2018 and, and fine to start last year, but Lane Hatcher was like electric last year. And I know that you can't tell that um, in terms of the difference between the two of these guys when you just look at their fantasy points per game over on the DraftKings uh, contest page because they're both like 24 points per game. But Hatcher, a more dynamic player, a little bit more efficient as well. Um, so I, I like Hatcher more, but the the problem is that Arkansas State, at least what they're saying, is that they're going to mix both of those guys in. Um, so with that, I'm probably not going to have much exposure to the, the quarterbacks when it comes to Arkansas State. I will um, still target the receivers there. Um, Jonathan Adams is a screaming value at, at 6,200. He's going to be peppered with targets. Um, this is an offense that lost. Um, Omar Bayless and Kirk Merritt from last year, guys that probably combined for close to 50% of the target share um, for Arkansas State. So Jonathan Adams, next man up. I think he's going to get as many targets as he can handle. So when you're looking at PPR, um, like on DraftKings, Jonathan Adams uh, is a really good call. And then other quarterbacks that I'm fading um, would be, I'm, I'm not interested in the North Texas guys. Um, I think that but the North Texas might be in for a bit of a drought um, now that Mason Fine is gone. I don't think that they really have an answer between Jason Bean and Austin Oon uh, just yet. So I don't know how that one's going to shake out. I think they might play both of them, and I don't really like either of them, even though they are going up against Houston Baptist. That I mean, that that is worth noting. Um, I do like Army's quarterback a little bit, um, Christian Anderson. Um, so they, they mixed a lot of quarterbacks last year. Uh, Anderson has been named the starter, it looks like. Um, so he's going to be getting, you know, upwards of 20 rushes in this game um, at 7,400. That, that's pretty solid um, of an investment there. And then Grant Wells, kind of the, the wild card, the unknown in this slate because Marshall um, is going up against East, Eastern Kentucky and Marshall's quarterback from last year and the last couple of years, Isaiah Green, uh, no longer with the program. So it's Wells' job now. Um, I don't know how much they're going to turn him loose against uh, this team, but he's a, he's a very interesting um, GPP type of target. I think that he could be the he's an X factor on the, on the slate, someone that, that could really decide um, a lot of things on this one. If he, you know, if he ends up uh, going off, because I don't expect there to be particularly high ownership uh, when it comes to um, Grant Wells this week. Is there anything to target in this Army Middle Tennessee game? Um, so when I when I looked at it, um, middle the problem with with approaching Army in in these type of games and you know it goes with pretty much any service academy or or when you know back in the day when Georgia Tech would, would be on a slate the, these triple option teams they they just they shorten the game so much with with how much they're running the ball so that there's going to be a cap on the um, amount of plays run, but there's still a fairly high um, over under in this one. I think it checks in well over 50. Um, so with that, um, I do like some of these army options, particularly um, at the at the running back position. Um, Sandon McCoy, um, someone who is pretty efficient last year and has been billed as someone who's going to um, take on a lot of work in this backfield, and they're going up against a Middle Tennessee defense that is pretty bad. So um, I think that that McCoy is definitely the, the running back um, for 
army that I would consider. Uh, definitely not looking at any of the um, pass catchers, really. Um, and Cade Barnard is also someone to consider a little bit further down at 3,100. He's supposed to be getting uh, some work um, out of that army backfield as well. And then on the other side of the of that game, if you do want some um, shares of the Middle Tennessee offense, I don't see why you wouldn't. To, I mean, kind of kidding this week. Um, Asher O'Hara is is always a good play. Um, he's kind of like a one man show, um, especially now that um, that two of the two of uh, Middle Tennessee's running backs they got a couple of um, Power Five transfers in uh, Martel Petaway and Amir Rasul. I think it was um, both of them have opted out. So I was worried that O'Hara's uh, rushing production was going to take a hit because of those two guys being on campus. That is no no longer the case. I think O'Hara is going to shoulder a lot of the rushing workload um, for this Middle Tennessee um, offense. And at 6,200, like you know, he's he's going to be playing the full game, whereas you know guys like Lane Hatcher and Lane Bonner are going to be rotating snaps and at basically the same salary. Um, that's definitely something to consider. So I think that even though I, I don't like going against army for DFS purposes, O'Hara's price point and, and usage might be enough to, to convince me to, to have fairly high exposure to him um, on this Saturday slate. Yeah. A little bit backed into a corner as far as what you can, you know, you can't be too picky. Uh, as far as which teams you're targeting, a, a yep. couple of stayaways though. You're, you're not touching North Texas, Houston Baptist, or or UTEP and and Stephen F. Austin. No, I, it honestly w- wouldn't completely shock me if UTEP lost to Stephen F. Austin. And this is me not really knowing a ton about Stephen F. Austin je- just yet. D- don't worry, listener. I'll have their their players projected and in the pool um, before, uh, well before um, Saturday comes around. But um, I, I just think very lowly of the the utep program i I think that they are kind of a rudderless uh ship out there so i I have no interest in them even though um they are you know going up against an fcs team and maybe that makes me a square and and the sharps are going to be really loaded up uh, on utep guys but uh if that makes me a square so be it i i do not care for for this miners program um as currently constructed so yeah not not getting much um exposure to that game um, as far as the Marshall game goes, um, again, that's something where um, the the quarterback Grant Wells is kind of interesting, but I think Brand, uh, Brendan Knox is is an expensive running back, but there's probably no one on Eastern Kentucky um, that can really stop him. I, I think that he's going to be a guy that's averaging like seven, eight, maybe even nine yards per carry on Saturday against Eastern Kentucky. So I think that he's well worth the plunge at, at 8K. Um, and then uh, I'm not interested in Texas State um, going up against SMU. SMU, I think, is several cuts above Texas State. And I think Texas State's going to struggle in this one, whereas SMU, I think, is going to pound them into the dirt. Uh, I mean, we, we, we see that Reggie Roberson is, is one of the best returning receivers in all of college football. I believe we have him now with all the opt-outs as the number one fantasy um, receiver uh, left in the game. That's nationwide right now. So he's 8,200 for, for the best receiver in college football from a fantasy perspective. Um, that's something to certainly consider. Um, but you could also take a look a little bit further down um, SMU's depth chart. I think that there's some value um, at receiver a little bit further down, like a, like a she rice um type of guy i think that he he's someone that, that might go off um this week as the number two kylan grants in a great tight end as well tyler page a little bit interesting as well and Dan- danny gray i think is someone that has gotten some sleeper love so uh, approaching the smu passing game is something that i would advise um as well and then um the 
the the Memphis Arkansas State game again. I like Jonathan Adams a ton in this one. Um, don't really like the Arkansas State quarterbacks. Like I said, don't like Marcel Murray, the running back, um, either. Um, but Kenny Gainwell. Uh, opting out that opens up a ton of carries for Rodriguez Clark. I, I figured you would like that name a fair bit. Um, he's, uh, yeah. Uh, you think? Yeah. So, uh, I know I was, I was losing you there getting a little bit too deep into the weeds, but, uh, I had to bring you back in with some Rodriguez Clark discussion and, uh, 5,200. Um, I think that he, he's in, in a pretty nice spot to, to, uh, to go off in, in this one as well. You cannot go wrong with the first name Rodriguez. It doesn't even matter what your last name is. I mean, Rodriguez Clark is an insane name, but it, it could be anything, and it would still sound cool. Right? Yeah, it's it's strong across the board. I, I love that name. I'm, I'm I was like a little bit excited about him last year, and then Kenny Gainwell just kind of came out of nowhere and dominated. Um, so I didn't really get the the full uh, Rodriguez Clark experience last year, but uh, I think that you know we we might get um, the. We're going to make up for lost time this year with, with Rodriguez Clark time. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my usual deep dive within the next week or two and and kind of come up with an all name team for our next episode to, Love it. to to get out there publicly. All right, man, that was a great preview. You're not going to find anything more in depth looking at this week one DFS slate than you just heard. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a slog. I'll say it through week one, but at least, you know, looking ahead to week two, we have I don't think we have a single ranked versus ranked matchup, but we have at least respectable program versus respectable program matchup. And that, you know what, for now, that's all we can really ask right. for. So looking forward to that. Exactly. All right, man. Good luck this weekend. And we'll be back in the near future. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.